Tom Chips. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast, where this week we'll be talking about Paranormal Activity 2. Uh, I am joined by Christian Mukowski, uh, who I believe is related to that person in, in Alaska. Christian Mukowski. Um, actually, it's pronounced Pazuzu. And also, uh, Kelly Wan, do you have a tagline for us this week? Yeah, um, I guess Tom's not the only one with a haunted man cave. Good, good tagline. Okay. Uh, Christian, why don't you explain to us what the movie is we're seeing, we're going to be talking about this week, so that folks might understand better Kelly Wan's tagline. All right. This week we watched uh, a film called Paranormal Activity 2. Paranormal Activity 2 is a found footage psychological horror film directed by Todd Williams. Uh, the film opens with the Ray family bringing home their newborn baby Hunter and shows them as they cope with and react to the horror of a haunting in their home. The film is rated R. Ah, but that made Kelly Wand happy. Oh, we say the rating now in the pre-synopsis? Now? You're the one that cares. You're the one, Kelly Wand, who refuses to like a PG-13 rated movie. Uh, yeah, I just... All right. <laughs> so that's just for you, Kelly Wan. Now, Kelly Wan, why don't you... Uh, why don't you break it down a little bit more? Let's get into some spoilers, as we will be doing when we discuss the movie in depth. But before we do that, uh, Kelly Wan, why don't you give us a spoiler-laden synopsis of Paranormal Activity 2? Before I give the paranopsis, mm-hmm. I just want to say how stoned, I mean stoked I am that we finally get to see a movie that taps into our primal fears of activity. <laughs> And now onward to the Paranopsis. Uh, Just a stray nugget. So uh, the family of the chick from the first movie get their house trashed by some paranormal activities. So they uh, have some cameras installed, security cameras, so they can watch their belongings move around on replay. (laughs) And then watch their own freakouts on replay. And just do nothing just keep watching them and the activity doesn't like it when they hang pans from hooks <laughs> and the activity hates clean pools and cupboards that are shut and middle-aged Mexican maids who can crump <laughs> but the teenage girl they name their dog after learns from <laughs> that the activity wants pussy <laughs> And she learns from some scratches in the door that its name is Melk. Which in RL is the name of some city in Austria and a branch of Benedictine monks. So it all adds up. And uh, the dad fires their maid for trying to get the baby hooked on incense that only good spirits smoke. But then the teenage girl Googles the word Austria on the interwebs, and she reads that her great-grandmother made a deal with the activity to get rich back in the 30s, even though the family is not rich. And the great-grandma never warned them to have only daughters. So instead of saving the baby by giving him a sex change, Milk attacks their dog and then possesses the mom by biting the thigh, which is how I possess Tom. After a few Kamikazes last New Year's Eve. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the dad follows um, 
the psycho possessed mom into the basement and he bravely trips over stuff and swears <laughs> repeatedly while holding the video camera even though supposedly there's a security camera down there as well and then the mom attacks him but nobody dies and nothing happens so the next day the dad calls the maid because she's a uh, good-hearted holy woman advises them to burn a picture of uh, Aunt Featherstone in the ashtray so that the ant will get possessed and come over some night and kill everybody. And luckily this plan works. But her teenage daughter, uh, she misses it because she's over at her boyfriend's engaged in some paralegal activity. <sighs> hey, if we reach a lull, which seems unlikely right now, Remind me to tell you about what I was thinking while I was watching McHale's Navy earlier this week. So wait, there was no the end? Are you done? Because uh, you, you kind of petered out just like the actual movie did. Yeah, you have to push stop yeah. or else we'll just re- keep recording the sound effect. Well, I wanted to capture the spirit of the movie. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, so uh, uh, there you go. How about that? Um, Why um, mm-hmm. did mm-hmm. they do that? Why did they ruin the awesomeness of paranormal activity? So you felt that they ruined it. Yeah. They missed it. It was like watching a bad tribute band. It was like watching the Steve Martin Pink Panther that you Ouch. Thinking. Wow, okay. Okay. Uh that's pretty those are it's pretty harsh, Kelly Wan. Now Kelly Wan, did you find it scary? No. Which is weird because the first one totally scared me. I was thinking about it for hours afterwards. Hmm? And I don't know why I was trying to figure out why that was. It made me really want to see the first movie again and see if I was just, you know, if it was me. <laughs> or if maybe it was just the novelty of the concept uh, and, and maybe it doesn't work twice, you're saying. I thought of that, too. That I think that's possible. Mm-hmm. There's no, but it, there's nothing new in this movie that wasn't in the first movie that I can think of. Mm-hmm. Dingus, did you feel that way? Well, what do you think? Were you scared, Tom? Oh, I get, I get scared at all kinds of things. I'm I'm easily scared. I mean, you had tons of those jump moments you're always bitching about. It was rife with those. It uh, was one really good one though. There was one moment that made made me almost excited to be watching Paranormal Activity too. Okay, you know? hold that thought. Let, let's we'll uh, we'll want to hear what that moment is. But uh, yeah, I was scared. I'm easily scared. Uh, I. Was, I'm not as harsh about in my assessment of it as I think you are, Kelly Wand. I agree with basically what you're saying. Um, but it struck me as just an extension of the funhouse ride aspect of the first movie, uh, just sort of carried over. There wasn't really anything new or, or unique, and I, I didn't really... I, I think the first movie was a lot smarter in ways, um, but just you know worked else? A baby... Baby ruined the movie. It's a textbook example of babies ruining movies. Here's one thing, though, that didn't, you know, you, you Kelly Wand, have said that babies and dogs ruin movies. I did not think the dog ruined the movie. I love no, Abby. Abby was, was my favorite character in this movie. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it's kind of annoying we don't find out if she lives. Oh, I'm assuming she died. I mean, I, I, maybe yeah, they just can't spell that. But, yeah, Abby, because Abby's not there when, uh, when they flash forward, you know, when they cut forward uh, to after the event. So, yeah, I don't think the dog made it, I'm afraid. Um, She's definitely the most interesting and honest character in the film. <laughs> it was a great performance, I think. The dog, the dog's acting was. It really is. It's a very great. It's a great performance. I think. I think I smell a three by three coming up. Great animal performances. Uh, so, so there, there's. I'm. I'm uh, not as excited as I was about the first one. I think the first one is a, a brilliant, 
innovative and one of the best horror movies of the last 10 years. And I don't think that's the case here because it's just kind of reiterating that concept. It's, to me, similar to a Terminator 1, Terminator 2 thing, is they just kind of remake it and they, they add in a few twists. But, missed, but I enjoyed it. So, so can anyone hold that? What made it. Okay. okay, hold that thought, because I want to hear that, but let's get Dingus to weigh in here. So I'm kind of pro-Paranormal Activity 2. Kelly Wan, you're anti-Paranormal Activity 2. Dingus, where do you fall in this continuum? Um, I, uh, I quite enjoyed the experience of watching it, but that pretty much says it all. Thank you, Kelly. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's quite all right. Um, Forgot we were recording. I, I don't think the film knows the difference, but knows the difference between startling and scaring because it's there's a lot of things that startled me, um, and I, I'm always yeah. I always have a hard time watching babies or children being in danger. Uh, but but uh, you know, it's while not. I had a good time watching it and, and had a lot of great startles during it, I ended up really resenting it. And I, I think that's the that's the word I'm going to have to use is I really resent it. Um, so uh, I understand what, you, what you're saying, Tom, is, is I think you're being lenient, and I, and I, I appreciate that. And uh, but I, I especially appreciate what you have to say about uh, Paranormal Activity and what a powerful movie it is as far as uh, where it stands in horror over the last decade. But this this film, because of that, actually made me resent it. So uh, well, before we get into Kelly, I want to hear, Kelly, what you think this movie, what points this movie missed. Uh, explain a little bit about why you resent it, I think. Yeah, hold on. Uh, God, I've got cat activity here. Just here. <laughs> Euphemisms. Give me that. Paracat activity. Dude, oh, God, he won't quit it. Dude, that's going to All right, hold on. <laughs> Uh, he bad. thinks that. <laughs> Hold on, wait. Oh, this is Lord. how the movie sounds. <laughs> <laughs> we just like we got. <laughs> All right, uh, the cat sort of off mic, and then the cat goes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so um, uh, so Dingus, explain the resentment, and then Kelly, I want to hear what you think. What points do you think it missed? Because I, I think I'm going to agree it's with like you a lot on these. Well, hold that thought. Hold that thought. Uh, but, but Dingus, I want you to explain this concept of resentment. Uh, what, what do you resent about it? <laughs> um, I resent how it um, how it takes the things that are great about paranormal activity one, and just sort of dashes them away as as minor scares and recycles them without adding anything new, and then squanders uh, it subtracts. It really does subtract, and it, and it squanders any opportunities that paranormal activity might have afforded somebody making something that might be a sequel. And instead, it, it, uh, it diminishes in... Hmm. Kind of a stupid thing to say. It diminishes paranormal activity in, in the way that prequels, I'm not going to name any specific prequels, can do to an original work. And and I can I can choose to go ahead and pretend this doesn't exist and still love paranormal activity, but it it sort of takes away from by messing with the timeline and and screwing up uh, some of its opportunities the the uh, foundation that was laid by or could have been laid by paranormal activity. Okay, now uh, I I want to Kelly one I want to hear about the missed opportunities, but I want to address that real quick. Dingus, yeah, I, I, Dingus this thing too. Oh, okay, so I'll go first, and you're up, Kelly. Okay. Uh, I I uh, I get what you're saying, Dingus, but 
considering, I think, the alternative could have been to just remake the same kind of thing without even acknowledging the original, or maybe just some stupid thing where, you know, two years later, another house gets haunted or or, or whatever. Right. One of the things I appreciated here is that they did make an effort to tie it into the, and further what we learned in the first movie. Uh, I I think there was obviously a bit of retconning involved, and I'm not entirely convinced it was successful, but I appreciated the effort that went into it. And I appreciated callbacks, like things like the the picture being burned, where we learned why that was in the attic in the first movie. Uh, you know, I, I liked watching the movie and seeing Katie Featherstone show up and wondering, oh, well, wait, how are they going to fit this together? That, to me, added another level of enjoyability, even though I don't think it was ultimately that successful. I appreciated that they did that, and it made the movie more interesting for me than it would have been if they just had a different couple being uh, attacked by the demon. Um so, Kelly Wan, now you address what Dingus said. Well, one of the ways it's subtracted from it huh? is, uh, and I like what you just said. I like those things, too. But the rhythms of the movie felt way off compared to the first movie, yeah. which isn't what I was going to say in response to Dingus. I remember you guys fighting bitterly over the devil's motives after <laughs> we saw devil. And then you and then you guys shifted the topic to paranormal activity. And, like, you, you're supposedly winning point of dingus was you don't know what the what the demon's doing paranormal activity you don't know what it's doing it could be doing anything doesn't matter doesn't matter what it's doing and now that we know what it's doing a little more like it just wants the baby for the shark jump baby from the second movie that now the demon's not as cool i agree i totally agree Kelly. It totally made the demon lamer well, I, I really feel that once you make the motive something that simple as you know, it's like a stupid gypsy curse in, in Drag Me to Hell or, or, or something. I mean, once the motive is, is something so cliche and standard and understandable, and we have such a framework for it, it's a lot less scary. Uh, I, I think the unexplainedness in Devil and in Paranormal Activity 1 uh, are a big part of what make those stories effective for me. And I really did not need all this backstory spelled out. I, I thought that definitely weakened it, so I'm with you there, Kelly Wand. Backstory is always a mistake in a, in a horror movie. I don't think any of it matters. The more you find out, the lamer it is. Yeah, I mean, and the more it, holes you find. It's like, I don't know. Not always, but yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm I'm okay with un, particularly in horror with having things unexplained. Uh, and I don't. And, and this movie didn't really seem to understand. All that. the boring parts of the ring is the stuff where Naomi Watts is running around. <laughs> Right. Oh, yeah, Brian Cox. Yes, yes. Horses, horses. <laughs> well, see, see Tom. Tom, I understand what you, what you're saying about how um, little little touches that bridge us to the first movie make this movie richer. Like the the picture you're talking about, or Katie showing up, or or the picture of Katie and Mika that's on the wall next to the staircase. You know, you see the, the, that picture that gets destroyed in the first film. Uh, there's, there's a copy of that picture framed ah. on the wall right there, too. So there, there are little touches like that that make this movie richer, but I think diminish the first movie. Um, you know, the, the idea of Katie saying that picture shouldn't exist when, she, when, when Mika brings it down from, from the, uh, the crawl space or the attic, that, that shouldn't exist. Is, is what she's saying. And then we, we find it in this film and we burn it. And, and there's, it's, it's sort of cute for this film, but it sort of ruins what a mystery it is in, in the first film. 
And and I and I don't like the way it intrudes upon the first film because that film is precious to me and and I don't like the idea that that while I'm sitting here and I'm wondering well what's the timeline Katie's here now she's messing around in the pool it, it can't be after the fact because they're, they're that doesn't make any sense as far as news or reports are concerned and if it's before the fact and she knows and she's having these conversations with her sister why doesn't she bring that into the first film when she's talking to Mika um, th- these things ruin essentially both films for me. I understand what you're saying about the, it enriching this experience for you, but, but I don't think the trade-off is worth it. See, I, I, that's surprising to me, Dingus, because the first movie is what it is. It, it's a different creative team. It still exists. You can go back and watch it and ignore it. The same way you can... I, I don't want to mention the other prequel we're all thinking about, but the same way you can ignore <laughs> another prequel we're all thinking about and go back and see the original movie. And... and uh, if this movie didn't work for you, that's fine. You can ignore it, and the other movie is still intact. But what this movie is trying to do no, is sort of hit you. see canon. Well, well, let's 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 talk about that then. Uh, what this movie is doing, it's it's hitching a ride on some of the stuff we know from the first movie. It's using some of that to further its own purposes, and it doesn't necessarily have to violate that. I mean, I don't know if there's a canon for paranormal activity. I, I don't really think it needs one. I mean, I uh, it didn't need a baby. It really didn't need a baby. Okay, well, we'll get to that. But, but you heard me. <laughs> but, well, but but I think the the thing is, it's, it's acknowledging that if you have seen Paranormal Activity one, there's stuff in here for you. Uh, this doesn't just reboot; it, it ties into it, and and it doesn't violate anything about Paranormal Activity one because that still exists in its own. It, it's some classic retconning, and I I do think it works a lot better than I was worried that it that it would work. Um, for instance, Katie Featherstone never comes back, I don't think, after weird things have started happening at her house, does she? I mean, once they put the picture in the attic, which is, I presume, what we're led to believe, is that they call the maid, the maid says, here's how you get rid of this demon. They attempt that, and it works. Uh, Katie Featherstone doesn't come back. We never have her saying, showing up. Uh, during the timeline of the events of the first movie, do we? Am I? Yeah, yes, she does. No, she comes but... back. She comes back for a birthday party or something, and she says after she opens the gift, you know, strange things are happening. No, no, I think she just says she has a weird feeling because then we see her go home, and that's the opening scene of Paranormal Activity One. We see Paranormal Activity One beginning, and then it flash forwards to the to to uh, you know several weeks later. But we see her get the strange feelings for the first time, seemingly, in the first movie. Well, right. That's, that's, what, that's one that thing for the retconning. But, but the thing is, she, she sort of says something to her sister uh, about having... I don't think she's... I may be wrong. Also, mm-hmm. at the end of the first movie, the text crawl goes, Whereabouts, Katie, you're unknown. Well, no. If the second movie's true, we know where she was the next night because right, she right. kills the other people. So it would have said that in the first text. Well, this is presumably footage that was later found by the police or I, I don't I don't know how that, that timeline works. Well, actually, Kelly, <laughs> Kelly bringing up the text crawl reminds me of another reason why this, this film doesn't resonate with me or why I, I, I feel the word resentment works. And um, and that's that that I I. I get the sense in this movie much more that that the editing decisions are done for a movie yeah. uh, rather than the first movie. I got the feeling that the editing decisions were done by people who were just paring down footage for somebody to see for scientific reasons 
or some other reason. You know, I, I feel like the, 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 the title card before the first movie that the San Diego Police Department or whoever it is, has, uh, we thank you and now we're watching this. And, and we see the, the sped up videotape. We see the moments I feel that we're watching, even though they're not necessarily that, I feel we're watching the things that we have to see. And in this film, I feel like we're watching the things that a filmmaker wants us to see. And I get that. Mm-hmm. I get that sense, especially when we get this sudden title card that says when, you know, 90, 90 days later, Mika Sloat dies. And, and we're seeing all these, these shots of, of nothing happening in the kitchen and at the house. And, and this, is, this is part and parcel of the whole opening up that the security camera thing does, which is a, whole, a wholly different issue. But I get the sense that I'm watching something that's been edited for a film rather than something that's been edited for a viewer to watch for a different purpose. Well, and I think that dingus is because it's a lot more exposition heavy. Uh, and that, I think, yeah. is a misstep, but I think it's necessary. Now, did the first one have those jump cuts within conversations, for instance? I don't remember that. You've seen the first one more recently than us, dingus. Uh, I don't think so, no. Because those also, that's where I particularly felt that. I was like, you know what, if you're going to arrange, basically it's like writing a script. You know, if you're going to arrange, okay, say this line, and then we have a jump cut to another line, uh, it's clearly like, like, it seems to me like the director, Todd Williams, had the actors improvise, and then he went through, or had an editor go through, and cut together scenes from it, which I, which I think really hurt this, this found footage sense. You know, it just felt much more presentational and expositional because of stuff like that. And I didn't remember that in the first movie. You're right. Yeah. You you have more of a sense of them stumbling through their dialogue in the first movie. Right. And this feels much more written. And I didn't even think of that until you said mm-hmm. it. When when she's arguing with him and she's he's saying he's in control and she's calling him an idiot in the first film, you have a sense of a, of a couple arguing. And, it, and it's a little bit awkward, and the actors might not be up to it, although I really, really like her so much. Uh, you don't get that sense in this, in this film. You get the sense yeah. that it was written. You really, really like who like so this much cast. cast. Much. Yeah, let's talk about the cast. Who is it you're saying you really like, Dingus? No, I, I like Katie. I oh, like Katie Featherston. Right, right. So much. So, I, Kelly Wan, you... I, you know, I like, uh, I like Sprague. <laughs> Sprague Graydon. Is that her name? I can't believe that's a real name. Uh, um, who, who is that? I don't even, I don't know any of their names. That's the mother. That's yeah. Christy. Uh, her name is Sprague. And she's an actual recognizable actress. And then, oh, you know, what? Let me, let me just say right now, this is another thing I, that I also resent about this. And I'm sorry to harp a little bit here. But, uh, but we're in on the joke now, so don't hide the names of the actors anymore. I, I, I appreciate that at the end of this film we actually get to see <laughs> a, a credits list at some point. But if I go to IMDb and Katie Featherston is the only one listed, will you cut it out already? Oh, there's these n- actors be listed. These are actors. They're all, they're all actors. We know that now. Don't hide their names. They're I don't. Know it. Wikipedia page. I have to go hunting to find their names. They're actors. Let us know their names and, and quit screwing around. It's called suspension of disbelief. We're in on the joke. This is the second film. Cut it out. Dingus, you don't. This is this is Paramount. This is the company that made Fourth Kind. Oh, wait, is that right, Kelly Wand? Is Fourth Kind uh, Paramount? It was uh, of paramount importance in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, whoever did Fourth Kind, that horrible Mila Jovovich thing, did the same thing. Uh, I had no idea that this was a this this chick has been in stuff. Yeah, they've they've oh, all been in man. various TV things. The the daughter is a graduate. Which she finds out by looking up at Wikipedia and then not finding it, and then getting mad. 
Well, but if they if, if these are established actors, because I, I loved that in the first movie, is these were not established actors. Right. They used their actual names. Every, nobody thought it was a documentary, but that was a cool little touch. I didn't know that, that Todd Williams was hiring TV actors to be in Paranormal Activity. This looks like a real movie. That's what Dingus is saying. He's right. right. It's like, uh, and also the fact that nothing happens to the baby or the teenage girl. What are you talking That's about? The baby, gets, the baby is eaten no. by a demon. No, he's laughing. He's laughing. I know that. See, now I thought that was. I like that touch. I, I did too, but it, but it was designed to make us feel better. Mm, come on, no, the the baby basically yeah. dies. Falling sell into, out. No, he doesn't die. The dog dies. So the superpowers. The dog and the baby. Oh, well, you might have a point. <laughs> but if he happens in the third movie, he's gonna be. <laughs> he's gonna be able to punch people really hard. He's yeah. gonna have the super demon punch. He's gonna be Asian Thorn. He's gonna kill the doctor in the elevator. <laughs> going to be awesome. But come on, you got, okay, I'll give, I'll say the movie wusses out by not killing the baby if you guys give the movie credit for killing the dog. Well, the dog's my favorite character. Uh, <laughs> it was predictable. If the dog killed, I'll watch Independence Day. Oh, it would have been less predictable if the dog had lived and the baby had died. Just saying. And maybe once the dog, maybe the, spe- the, the deal the great-grandma made is, look, I'll give you my dog. Well, actually, my theory is that specifically the dog was injured so that the demon would clear the house out, and then it would be available to, you know, drag the mother down in, into the basement. Uh, right. Drag me to the basement. Um, can I? Can we talk about now the baby and why? Before why we do, real quick, work. I want to hear why Kelly Wan doesn't like the cast. Kelly Wan, you, you say you didn't like this cast. What was your problem with them? Mm, they just didn't feel like real people. They didn't. The dad was. Uh, I, I just they did, none of them had recognizable motives like the first two, like Mika and uh, Katie. Like they really seemed to get along at first. Like I believed them as a couple, and these guys I just didn't know anything about their lives and dreams. Like they just did what the plot required them to. They didn't act like uh, they had anything on their minds, man. They basically what you're saying is they seem like TV actors. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I'm with you 100%. I, I, the thing is, and this is where I feel, I wouldn't say resentment, because I really did enjoy myself. I mean, I had a great time. and it, no, I, 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 I enjoyed myself. The audience. Well, I know, I know, but I just want to say that's one reason. Dingus, but I, I wasn't with the... Dingus, I want to say I totally understand when you talk about resenting the movie, but the reason that I would personally steer clear of that word is because I really dug the ride. Uh, and I know you did, too, but you still... Mm. Uh, you, so, so, but one of the things that I did appreciate, and I, I blame the actors kind of that this didn't, maybe it's Todd Williams' fault. I don't know whose fault this was, but, but I liked what they were going for with the idea that these people made a terrible decision. They did a terrible, terrible thing. Um, and it's glossed over. It's glossed over, and I, I don't know if that's the cast, if that's the writing, but in order to save their baby, they basically doomed, you know, this, the, this guy doomed his sister-in-law. Uh, and I like the mom need to know that? Does no, I mean, well, I don't, I mean, I, I, that's a good question, and I would want to know that. Just like how we suddenly cut from the descent into the basement to, you know, what happened down there, by the way. Uh, right. We're just going to end that. You know, she's going to be all demon facey and attacking people. And then we're just going to not show how that gets resolved. Right, exactly. She just decides to go back to bed or whatever. Uh, I would have liked to have seen how this, if this is going to be a movie, any good horror movies about the characters more than the monster, how are these people grappling with the fact that they're dooming this woman's sister? And the fact that, and I love this about it, that it doesn't work. 
uh, that, that they do this terrible thing and they still pay for it. Uh, and these people have, have almost, for all intents and purposes, murdered an innocent person using like the demon as, as a weapon. Two innocent people. Um, so I, I liked the fact that, that that happened in the movie, and I just wish that we had better actors and more of an acknowledgement of the enormity of that in the course of telling this story. Um, uh, see, you don't even really see the moment when the dad goes, oh, wait, okay, it's all real. He didn't seem very expressive as an actor. And maybe that was his character, the way he was designed. But in the first movie, I really got the sense of their emotional... Uh, well, the, the, that movie that movie is so much more contained and understands how to step characters through those moments. Because you, you see Katie going through the process of becoming possessed. Uh-huh. And... And, and, and it see seems like, well, it seems like there's 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 definite rules for it, and it happens through in degrees, in increments. It, you know, things happen to her, and something else happens to her, and then the bite, and then something else, and and things become more and more negative and more and more fearful until finally there's that moment where she says, "I think it's going to be okay now. Or I think we're going to be okay now." But with this movie, you it's so spread and so wide open, and there's so many different cameras and so many different characters and shots that what we substitute is just dragging the mom twice down down the stairs and and into the basement and that's the substitute for all those incremental changes that go that that katie goes through and that are specific to katie because of what she's been going through her entire life as as long as she can remember this isn't a transference you know and this is you know why I, i really respect what Tom has to say about I should be (laughs) mature enough to say paranormal activity is its own thing and this does not impact upon it. But paranormal activity had a specific set of rules about how this demon was in her life, in her entire life. And it wasn't that it got transferred to her like a bank account. And this movie sort of presupposes that none of that really mattered. We're just going to shove all of this onto that story. Well, wait. Well, I, I, it, I mean, th- this movie is saying it's not just her; it's her sister uh, being affected. And the reason it gets shoved onto her is because this this Hispanic maid knows the spell or whatever. Like it, it's like a ritual thing. Now it's it's haunted both of them their entire lives. Basically, now actually, I kind of disagree. Thing is because what what this casts, in as much as you can have this evil explained, if you can tolerate this which I, I don't like, but if you're going to say, yes, let's explain that, the explanation works for me, because the explanation is this presence is, is hovering over both of them, waiting on either of them to have a male child. Uh, okay, okay. okay. So, so if I look at it that way, uh, now I, I'm not necessarily sure I need that explanation, but if that's the one you want to give me as a justification to make a sequel, I think it kind of works, and it, and it can kind of explain why Katie has always felt this all of her life and this unease, as well as... Um, the mother whose name I don't even remember. Uh, but, but that's the sense I get, is that this demon is sort of waiting on either one of them to have a child. And when one finally has a child, uh, he, he explodes at that house, you know, where the child is, um, and gets temporarily shunted off. That's what this movie is about. And the first movie is, you're right, Ding, is the first movie is kind of a sidebar to the true events. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's sort of marginalizing what was going on there. Um, but as far as the, the general fiction of the second movie, it works for me, I think. 
Mm-hmm. I, I do I do agree though with what Dingus was saying about the and, and Kelly Wan you alluded to this earlier that the pacing problems the first movie was so much better with the tension and the release of the day night cycle because it would it was layering things in much more gradually and it felt like this movie just had to literally have the kitchen explode you know the early creepy stuff was cool I liked that but it just got it got so overt, you know. It, it's so I felt no dread like I did in the first movie, and I, I that can't be entirely. I mean, it has to be just the filmmaking. Well, I, see, I felt dread. I, I was ready. I wanted it. I, re, I was like ready to. Uh, I'm gonna get. I won't be able to sleep tonight. It's gonna freak me out. Curdle my well, stomach. Well, I remember one of the really wonderful observations Tom made about the first movie. Um, one might almost say a trenchant. Uh, observation, uh, if one knew how to use that word. But if one of the wonderful observations Tom made was was about that nighttime shot over the bed and 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 the fear that that taps into and that yeah. that shot, uh, which was our iconic shot of night number one, night number two, night number three of the bed in the hallway. That is so simple and so fear and dread inducing and the corollary in this film was the sidewalk see that it's definitely our fears of somebody knocking at our door because that is not the same thing or the bathroom well it's definitely missing the the focus of and, and it definitely misses that universal fear of laying in bed and what's happening when you're in bed i mean it totally chucks that out the window as it were almost literally because there's a lot of scenes of something out the window and then well, the bird a baby this time and the baby can't do anything except get dragged a little so see i think that's what it's trying to substitute that's what is this 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 child in danger thing and i know i can't i know that we're not going to that dingus is about to use the word resentment again uh but it substitutes the first movie's really effective tapping into the that vulnerability when you're in bed at night and it's dark and instead expects us to care about a, a baby being put in danger uh, he's not even going to remember it he's going to wake up with the super well it doesn't matter about the baby i mean it's us watching knowing oh, and i actually Nothing's thought that happen. scene was a little creepy you know the baby getting dragged out of the crib that that was uh that was a little uh, I, that was that got me. I mean, Dingus wasn't that freaky to you seeing the little baby dragged out of the crib. Uh, I don't. I guess you didn't hear me. It made me giggle. Seeing seeing him seeing him tugged along the crib and then then levitated up the side of the crib. All right. If you think it's so funny, okay. silly. Okay. If you think it's funny when demons carry babies around, I'm glad you think it's funny. Well, babies are heavy. I don't want to carry them all. The time. <laughs> Why is it carrying him like that? Well, the, the, the other initial That's a silly way to do it. And, you know, while I am, I have a hard time watching babies or kids in danger, um, something that happened to me in watching this is that I realized when, when the baby was left alone in the house after <laughs> Allie gets locked outside, I didn't care about what was, the demon was doing because... My my reaction is tied to an adult's reaction because they, they can communicate that re- reaction to me. A baby can't. A baby's crying. He, is he hungry? Yeah. Is his diaper dirty? Is he fussy about something? Is he teething? I don't know. My reaction is crying. My reaction to that was because uh, once the demon got the baby out of the crib and just let the baby run loose around the house, uh, you know, obviously the demon was going to eat the baby at that point or whatever, but my reaction was... I hope that baby doesn't fall down those stairs. It doesn't yeah, look very yeah. safe. <laughs> that was my primary concern as well. And, and they covered that he knew how to crawl up and down stairs in an establishing shot. So I, I guess, yeah, he's going to be able to That's negotiate. That's one of his first superpowers. 
but it's such it was such a weird revelation once the once the only uh person of consenting age was out of the house was that it didn't really matter what was going on in the house anymore because it wasn't it was about it's about the reaction of the character that i identify with and i don't identify with a baby i feel protected yeah. about but i but i it, when they're in a movie i almost feel an identification with the human that is protecting the baby and those those humans were all gone and we're just in a house with a demon and a baby the baby can tell me nothing about that demon because i'm thinking the baby oh they're just having the actor run around like the because they the baby doesn't know there's a demon going in the house is the baby it's such, it's the baby is that a tv actor that baby <laughs> hunter uh, it was uh brian bonzel <laughs> uh i i i loved how having Abby present kind of gave the audience someone to root for. Like, I thought it was so cool that Abby would, like, curl up and, and sleep in the baby's room. And when Abby was, like, running around the house and sort of, like, looking at the demon, like, I loved just at, from a narrative perspective having this kind of, like, heroine champion <laughs> kind of in, in the movie, uh, even though I knew it probably wasn't going to end up well for her. Uh, I just I just really liked the presence of that dog because that's one of the things you think too. You watch Paranormal Activity one, and you're like, well, holy cats! I'd get a big old mean dog to protect me. <laughs> what? Uh, no, I wouldn't. You, and I, she that was, sense. She was constantly going up to the pool cleaner. I love that. Yeah, yeah. She was adorable. I want a dog. I want that dog. That, that was, was a great dog. Like, she that, was uh, awesome. Um, and, oh, I love that dog. So let, let's talk real quick about some of the, the, the timeline of events. So am I correct then that Nerd alert. the so okay because I, I let me confess something real quick. I didn't see a lot of the basement stuff because um, I I couldn't I had to I was trying to write something in my oh uh, the anti climate oh, okay so she gets turned into she gets like possessed. Did she have, like, scary demon face stuff? Like, I noticed there were, like, prosthetics credits at the end of the movie. Well, that was the scar on her thigh, I guess. Ah, Let's could see. be. Could be. And but Katie's knobs. Did did she have, like, scary demon face, though? Did they do that whole thing? No. She didn't. See, she didn't do a Katie Featherstone. Katie so Featherstone does an awesome demon face. They just did all those scary monster noises, like when she lunged at her husband. Like, that was right. just her. Okay. And she didn't do anything to him. So what happened in the basement? Lunging was meaningless. So nothing. <laughs> in the basement, no. The, in the basement, in the basement, the dad pushed the cross against her and knocked her out. Oh, so the cross worked. Okay, good lord. That, that's what's supposed to happen. The cross is supposed to knock her out. And when that happens, you see all She's that, all the, all the trembling of all that stuff, and that's the demon being silenced. You know, there's the there's the trembling of all those. The, all right. Okay. Then here's what I want to know. What kind of crappy California demonologist doesn't know those tricks? That dude from the first movie, why didn't he know that stuff? Because he wasn't a demonologist. He's oh, you know what? Actually, I think Dingus is right. Wasn't he like a ghost hunter? The or demonologist was out of town. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I forgot about that. Okay. Otherwise, they yeah. might have known the cross trick in the, the first movie. Okay, good. He was at South, in South America, and she was South American. And she just wasn't listed in the book or whatever. Right. So there's a demon in South America at the time, and she's not there for that. So. I see. Okay, well, here's the thing that I really want to get to, though. So the whole point of the demon is that it it find, it works its way into your life by creating fear, uh, and eventually it can possess you. And what it it's trying houses at the same time. And what it's trying to do is is get the baby. It's trying to make good on its bargain. So 
isn't it correct that it manages to get into the wife in this movie and she manages to take the baby from the housekeeper and at that point hasn't the demon actually got what it needs it's it's possessed someone and it's got the baby and I presume at that point, why doesn't it just do its super punch against everyone and basically end the movie at that point? Uh, is there some... Well, I guess, Dingus, you just explained it because he used the cross to shut her down. Um, well, there's no reason for her to run to the basement and hang out. Well, there's something... Now, you know what? I kind of disagree about that because there's this idea from the first movie that there's a location in the house where the demon lurks or, or, or something. It, it, it's a, a place where it originates, and I can clearly remember from the first movie that door to the closet with the, the that goes up to the attic. And so here they just substituted something in the basement. So I got this sense that it had this lurking place. Um, but but the thing about the demon, according to the lore, is is that it, it it's specific to a person, not a place, and that's why they could right. never leave the house. Right. Because right. even if you go to a hotel room, it's not going to be any. It's not going to help any. And so I think those those locational things are more related to how the person feels. The the closet to the attic or downstairs near the refrigerator. The, those 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 things that are centered are more related to the person than they are to the actual location. Uh, I don't understand other than how our fear of basements, especially in California, are. <laughs> um, I I don't think that really I, I understand what you're going for. Uh, I think but I just think you're being too kind. Yeah, and they don't any, even talk any, about any leaving the house in the second one. Like they don't know that rule, and it never even comes up. And then they're still living there, and he's watching sports in the living. Room. Well, they don't need to know it. I mean, it works for for what happens right. is they have this problem. He decides, you know, this is something weird. Uh, and I like, by the way, that you know when when she's when the daughter is freaking out. I'm thinking, well, show your dad the frickin' footage, you know, go look at the footage, and she does. I like that we have that. But once he realizes what's going on from the footage, he decides to call the maid, because she was the one who knew what was happening. She was the one who tried to warn them. He Maybe called she the was maid. mad about being he, fired, and the, that was payback. She knew it was going to happen. <laughs> he, he calls the maid, and she tells them what to do, and it works. It doesn't right. work. No, it works as far as they know. Uh, you know, it, it stops what's going on in the house for several weeks until, you know, Katie Featherstone comes up and super punches them to death. Or, or I guess she breaks his neck and then super That's not working. Uh, but, that, but what I'm saying, Kelly Wan, uh, I forget why I'm telling you this, is, is that uh, they, they, their response to the situation is something that's successful as far as they know. You know, there, there's no need to, like, call the police or bring anyone else. Because that's one of the things I liked about Devil is that people didn't just – do stupid the, the movie wasn't relying on people doing stupid things you know they called the cops they called the fire department they got maintenance you know they did all the things that as the audience were like well why don't you do this they did those things in devil and i felt that they did those things here in as much as they needed to, to to resolve the problem you know once the father sees yes this is something supernatural i'm not you know why call the police when this maid tried to warn me about it let me ask her what to do and she tells them what to do and it works uh, as far as they know so the sister's in on it or not? No, I, no, she's not. Really? And, which, and then she's not talking to Katie like for that whole month, like, hey, how's it going? Oh, demon's over here now. 
Well, I think that's just sloppiness because the because the father he also does nothing else for that entire time. He just he just trusts. Well, it's just over there now. That can't impact yeah. on us in any way. This is not going to impact on our world in any way. I'm just going to watch sprites. Right. So, but that monitoring the situation. Well, but that I think though is I, that's one of the things that I, I wish. That I mean, I think we're just supposed to take from that that the father is kind of a bad guy. Is that right. he, like I said, for all intents and purposes, murders two other people. He is just protecting his son, his house. And once that's done, he doesn't do anything else. He, you know, he just makes an ignoble decision to sacrifice someone else to save his family. And and that's an interesting character choice. And I wish we'd seen more about that. Uh, I wish it hadn't just glossed lax. He's not monitoring the situation. Although she does it, she gets in through the closed door. Like we don't know how she gets in the house. She's kind of, I think she's incorporeal or something, or incorporeal. Like that was kind of weird. Because there's she needs to twist a neck, and then she's corporeal. Well, yeah, there's the scene where we see her in the background, and then he turns around, and oh, she's not there. Uh, I, that that's just another one of those like things where they use the security cameras for like convenient storytelling. That uh, just felt she doesn't attack the, ser- the security cameras like she does in the first movie. She, like the cameras yeah. make him nuts. Well, the camera. Remember in the first movie, we talked about how Micah was using the camera to antagonize the demon. Right. Uh, the right. security camera here was just kind of incidental. Uh-huh. Well, the, the camera in the first movie yeah. was much more of a character. Right. And there are so many different cameras in this movie, including the camera that Allie is using at the very beginning and sort of a mirror of the first shot of the first film, and that she uses throughout the film every now and then, and then the various cameras throughout the house, it's just so spread out, whereas in the first film, it, this is one character, and we are we are so much a part of that. But they have two cameras in, this, in the first movie, if I'm not, I mean, I get, you're, you're right, Dingus, but I think there are two cameras in the first movie, aren't there? Where, what? No, it's just Mika's camera. Doesn't, don't they buy a separate night one to set up in the bedroom? No, Maybe no, not. No. Okay. no, it's all that camera. And it's and it's very much of, is he going to grab the camera or not grab a camera? And then at the at the end, and, you know, I, I, I realize we've sort of been spoiling the first movie as we go through this. I just realized that now, but I guess that should be known uh it, that that last moment when he when she's when her screams are so desperate and he doesn't grab the camera is what's fascinating and what what's great about that that camera and that single camera is is so much of that first film is what we don't see right and in this film we can see everything and it's up to the filmmaker to choose what we see. What's the difference too between playing a, a video game in first person or third person? Okay. Uh, and and when when but when uh, when I'm, Abby, I'm laughing at Kelly Wan's over that. <laughs> when is the daughter's name really Allie? Isn't it? Ab- That's the God. Guy. The dog is Abby. But anyway, when the daughter grabs the camera to go downstairs. I, I was keenly aware of that when we're seeing just the perspective of that one camera being carried carried around, and you can't see anything behind it. Or it's very different than that dispassionate sort of third person view from the security cameras uh, right. when somebody's carrying one around. Uh, and, and yeah, you're, that's I've forgotten about that, Dingus. Is that every point, everything you see in the first movie that's not in the bedroom is because one of the actors decided to, or one of the characters decided to carry the camera out. Yeah. Uh, you know what? It's Blair Witch Project has two cameras, so that's what I was thinking of. There you go. Nerd alert. <laughs> I thought it was going to turn out that the dad was going to be the one who made the deal that she, the daughter reads about. You know, the Burger King with he made a deal with Burger King. I wonder if Burger King approved of that product placement. If if that's yeah, 
Are all Burger King managers so sort of uh, morally bankrupt that they would sacrifice their sisters-in-law? He's not a manager. What is he? He He's owns a... franchises. Well, you don't know that he doesn't manage one of them. He might. Imagine him in one of those little hats. <laughs> it could be. You don't know. <laughs> He's just a ridiculous father. Uh, I just have to go to this meeting. You're, you're going to be fine. Dad, please don't leave. I'm, I'm dying here. No, I'm just going to go to this meeting with these guys. Honey, for a we just introduced mimosas. It's really... <laughs> Your mom... The, Christy can't get out of bed. She cannot get out of bed. Take care of the baby. I'm going to go to a Burger King meeting now. <laughs> Some of those meetings are important, Dingus. Also, this, this film has no understanding whatsoever of how a baby monitor works. And that dog barks in that room. I don't either. Baby monitor. The, the parents are going to fly through the roof. Baby monitors work. So They are so loud. Nobody in this house hears a damn thing. It's amazing. <laughs> Wait, what? I didn't understand that scene with the baby monitor. What happened? It Break was it the in. demon. There was the demon talking through the baby monitor. It was it was that silly static TV static through the baby monitor. Oh, we can hear demons through static, and it was only there to to give us a little thrill. It wasn't there to to suggest that they actually use a baby monitor. I guess a rich family who has a nanny as soon as you get home from the hospital upon having a baby doesn't really use the baby monitor because if a dog barks in a room where the baby monitor is being used, you're going to go through the roof. That's going to try. The uh, the demon did dog. seem to have some like superpower to play faint music, didn't he? Like weren't yeah, there times? Yeah, was that the Burger King theme? <laughs> one two three, not only you and me, got one eighty degrees, and I'm caught in between. Come one two three, eat a pun, not a free, getting down with three feet, everybody loves. Oh, you're awesome, Kelly One. Uh, I think you do my McHale's Navy bit. What is your McHale's Navy uh, bit? Uh, okay, McHale's Navy was on, and uh, it was like made 1997 before 9/11, so there were like there was like a comical terrorist subplot, and I was thinking that like the the bad guy is sad because he's the number two terrorist in the world, so he takes on Tom Arnold. And I was thinking that if the skys- skyscrapers had blown up in that movie. When 9-11 really happened, they would have gone. It's just like in McHale's Navy. <laughs> wow. The McHale's Navy is prophetic. Well, it could have been. All right. Good. Uh, let's do a three-by-three. Three. You guys ready for this? I don't know. I'm a little nervous. All right. Yeah, this could be, for folks listening, this could be the uh, podcast where everything falls apart. Uh, we have had our, our technical staff. We've got a staff of engineers working on this. We'll, we'll see if they can pull it through. But uh, this week's 3x3 three three, uh, is uh, our, our favorite sound effects. And we're not just going to tell you about them. But we're going to play them for you. Um, hopefully. We'll, we'll see. Let me apart. guess what your guys' are and Dingus guesses, but Tom knows them all, so it's boring. Yeah, well, we're not going to be doing guessing. What I'll do is I'll just play the person's sound effect, and then they can explain it and, and talk about it. Uh, so because, let's see, Kelly Wan... Maybe we in- should record... We should hit record or stop now so we preserved everything we just did. Yeah, if you're listening, hit record or stop now. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right, so uh, let's start with uh, Kelly Wan's number three. Okay, so uh, here we go. This is Kelly Wan's number three.
God. <laughs> All right. Is it going to start? I'll give you a hint. It's from uh, when Heather Thomas's dress explodes. <laughs> it's about telekinetic, played by Scott Bayo. Hmm. What could it be? What could it be? And Kelly Wine, it's your choice. Go ahead. Wait, which one's that? Could you really not hear it? I just can't remember. It seems like it's a long time ago. Oh, if, you, got, if you guys can't hear it, you got to let me know, because I can't tell. No, no, we, we heard okay, it. So he just doesn't remember what he chose. Oh, do you, could you? Right. Uh, they all sound like that. So, so I'm going to I'm gonna say that was from The Exorcist. <laughs> Uh, so I thought, well, I, I won't be with you. All right, so you, uh, you don't, so Kelly Wan, that was the bit from 2001. You don't have anything to, to add? Yeah, it's apes learning how to use tools and make spaceships. That's the sound of human intelligence. So when you listen to it, you'll get smarter. Now, what would you say to somebody like, oh, me? Play that for monkeys. <laughs> that yeah, music. That's what I was going to say. It wasn't that music, Kelly Wand. Exactly, see? What's that tell you? <laughs> that you didn't listen to the podcast last week. Well, no, that because Kelly, I was worried when, when Kelly sent me this one to, to set up. I was like, oh, God, Kelly picked music cues. But there's something. That's the most normal one of the three. Well, the, the fact, Kelly, one, that you, you think of it as the sound of human intelligence. I mean, I do. That's that's very well yeah. put. And it's definitely an yeah. effect. I mean, it's not music in any. It's no. It's not the Blue Danube waltz, which we also later hear in that movie. Uh there's also that one guy who's going, oh, in the background. Yeah. That's the one thought in human intelligence. It's like, make the tool. <laughs> <laughs> Pan Am. Uh, can you think of any, uh, and there are some, but I'm specifically thinking of one, but can you think of any counterparts or, or more, more contemporary instances of that kind of like music slash sound effect in a movie? What about the what about the opening of There Will Be Blood? Yeah. Oh yeah, it's the sound of a guy going nuts. Though. Well, or is it you know is it the sound of you know that's the sound of insanity in There Will Be Blood? That's sure, In, insanity or greed or or obsession. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I'd like to transpose those sound effects to those movies and watch them both and see how they play out. Like because the apes are kind of being driven insane too, and Daniel Plainview's getting smarter. <laughs> And Leon's Both getting larger. Right. There's there's some of that in Shutter Island too, isn't there? The sort of dissonant music stuff that you were the one that hated the music in Shutter Island. You can't bring that up, Dingus, because it almost sounds like you're being favorable towards it. Good point. I, I retract that. <laughs> but yes, very good. I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, the Shutter Island, though, I think was more this kind of uh, like Hitchcockian pounding, or <laughs> maybe for lack of a better word. Uh, <laughs> Uh, than a statement. Um, but, uh, yes, there was definitely some stuff done with dissonant music in, in Shutter Island. They should also use that monolith sound effect for uh, when Jamie Lee Curtis takes her top off in trading places. <laughs> okay. Uh, which reminds me of your number two, but we'll get to that soon enough. Oh. All right. Uh, Dingus, here is uh, Dingus's number three. All right, Dingus, I'm going to play it, and then you explain it for the fall. Let me guess what it is, because I don't know what it is. That'll be fun to listen to. Uh, well, we'll see. Now, I know it. I don't recognize it, but I, whatever it is, I mean, I, rec I, I recognize it, but I don't know it. 
So dingus, whatever that is, it's very nice. Explain. Or Kelly, do you have a guess? Kelly Wand? Uh, I think it's free willy getting released. (laughs) (laughs) Dingus, what is that and why did you pick it? What does it mean you recognize it, but you don't know it? I think when you say it, I'm going to go, oh, yeah. And and let me ask ask you this. Is it the very end of a movie? It is not. Okay, well, then I don't recognize it. Never mind. It's uh, it's from a movie, and I've been I've been loath to pick certain movies as we've gone on because they're too easy. Uh, there's some of uh, a couple of people criticized us a couple uh, in a couple of threads about not picking Silence of the Lambs for a couple of easy things, and and I've been sort of staying away from those kind uh. of things because they're too easy. Uh, but I. I had a hard time this time because this is one of my favorite sound effects, and it's from one of my favorite films. It's a film called Rushmore. Just Lord, I never would have gotten that. No, it's it's a very random sound effect. It's um, it's the moment where it's a, it's a very romantic moment. It's Max Fisher sitting in the library having a debate or, or talking to 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 uh, another student, and, and the student has just told him that they've decided to cancel Latin, and and Max says, I, "I've been working on that for years," and he's he's reading a book about Jacques Cousteau, and he looks down at the book, and there's somebody has written handwritten in the book a quote. And it and the quote is, when one man, for whatever reason, has an opportunity to leave an extraordinary life, he has no right to keep it to himself. And as he reads this, he doesn't read it out loud. He just looks down at the page, and you see this the picture of the page of the Jacques Cousteau book. You hear that, that sound effect play. And it's very much this feeling of, of Max and his heart going out to sea, and... And it's when he begins to fall in love, although he doesn't realize it yet, because then he goes to find out who last checked out this book. And it's this, it's, it's just this weird moment, and I love the sound. Very good. Good. Kelly Wand, would you have guessed that? I don't believe it's seen. <laughs> right. there's, there's seagulls in the library? <laughs> That's where they keep them. He checks them out of the library, and then he, he attacks a little town with them. <laughs> Maybe it's, uh, such, it's, Bach. <laughs> it's such a romantic sound effect, if if you understand what's going on in the show happens. It's it's very much, because he falls in love with several men. Uh, thing is, it's just a romantic I was sound. actually wondering, and I don't think it would have worked, but because there's there's too many little things in the background, but I was thinking maybe the end of Barton Fink, uh, but no, so... Yeah, that's a good guess. It's better than what it really is. <laughs> I like your choice. Thank you, Tom. I like Dingus. <laughs> Let's pick sound effects no one remembers. <laughs> oh, p- please, Kelly Wan. You have, you have no room to talk for your one and two. Uh, all right, here's, here's, here's Kelly Wan's number two. Speaking of sound effects, no one remembers. Whoa, whoa, Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Where's your number three? Tom's turn. Oh, whoops. I was going to skip mine. <laughs> we don't want to do that. All right, here's my number three. In a hurry. All right, here's Tom Chick's number three. Okay, that's uh, got to be from the car because it's a car it's, horn. It's got to be. The yeah, I just love how in French Connection, uh, uh, Popeye Doyle is uh, is hitting the horn continually during that scene. Uh, I, I am a huge aficionado of, of car chases, uh, and I think the the car chase in Born Supremacy barely edges out the French Connection car chase. But there are so many amazing things about that car chase, and one of them is 
and he's not actually doing it because there's footage of Gene Hackman cut throughout the chase, and he's he's never pounding the little horn. You know, it's just afterwards William Friedkin obviously thought, well, let's you know let's pretend let let's do the sound design as if he's constantly hitting the horn. Um, and it's great. I mean, so many things about that car chase are so good, and I just love the sound design is is one of them. Uh, is that the the car chase is ultimately about the psychology of the character, uh, and what and and the 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 way that that horn taps out a beat, uh, it sort of mirrors his his frantic state of mind. Is such a great part of that car chase and such a great part of the sound design for it. So, there's my number. That's nice. Are you sure he's not hitting the horn? Because some of those old horns you could just trigger certainly using right certainly not in time with uh what you see on the screen there's one point and this is like a famous shot where he actually screams he's like yelling his mouth is open he's yelling and you don't hear that sound and and he's banging on the top of the steering wheel uh but i don't think you ever see him in time hitting the little center of the steering wheel like you could see both of his hands on the steering wheel and still hear the horn going so maybe maybe you're right dingus maybe it's got some little thumb trigger or something uh but Mm. I don't think you should be picking sound effects that could be anything. Like it has to be something that's only in that movie ever, like two thousand. Okay, well let's see then how you can uh, explain your number two, Kelly Wan. Here we go. Because <laughs> any car horn, any Smoking the Bandit movie has the same. Sound. All right, here's Kelly Wan's number two. <laughs> Wait, you cut it off. You didn't get the end of it. I didn't. I I, I put the time. Play it again. You did it all wrong. <laughs> if you're talking about the sound effects, that's in there. That's yeah. in there. No. No. Okay. I don't know if Dingus... You want to hear it again? All right. Here's Kelly Wan's number two again. Oh. All right. Explain that, Kelly Wand. Wait. Dingus has to guess what it's from. Because it's kind of an iconic scene. <laughs> uh, cool World. Oh, I'm sorry. Embarrassing. It's from the uh, 1989 release, Disorderlies, with the Fat Boys. And uh, that movie's... Uh, they kind of teach an old man to love life again, like uh, Meet Joe Black, but they're all black people. And um, he learns, you know... He has to learn old verities and truths of the heart and universal truths, uh, you know. Huh, okay. <laughs> well, why don't you explain wow. to us what we're hearing there, Kelly Wand, for folks who may not be as acquainted with the disorderlies as you are. Oh, uh, they take the old man to an ice skating rink, or a roller skating rink, one of those. It's hard to tell from the way it's shot. <laughs> And uh, all these hot 80s girls, or in quotes, hot 80s girls, uh, are enchanted by this old man in the wheelchair. And he's, like, crotchety at first and, like, Ugh. But then one of them sits on his lap and he gets a boner from it. And so that's the sound of his penis. And then you hear his reaction to it. And, and can you do a rendition of that? Because the music's a little loud. How would, Let's hear from you, Kelly Wan. What's the second half of that sound effect? There's always the boing. Well, I just did the first half just now. Okay, so now how's the second half sound? Because. <laughs> Very good. Which is similar to 2001, so. <laughs> All right, so that was. 
See, it's uh, right, so Kelly won't. Yeah. I don't think you guys. I I, I get. You know, I don't think I've ever seen the disorderlies, so uh, I look forward to watching it. No, it's just disorderlies. Stop <laughs> the Star Wars. Okay. Title. Get flames. All right. Here. All right. What's your favorite Fat Boy song, Kelly Wand? Uh, the one about the pancake. <laughs> Good going. Yeah. Wow. It, it's all you can. One eat. of them does All you can eat is my favorite Fat Boy song. I love that song. See, that could be the sound of a man eating a pancake, not getting a boner. Well, like like two thousand one, it's a sound effect that applies to all movies. Although you guys what? are picking car horns and seagulls, which should apply to. Wait till you hear my other two. You're not going to even be able to tell what they are. Uh, but why do, why do you separate eating a pancake and having a boner as if those are two different things? You know, that scene in Disorderly is where he gets the boner. You could use the 2001 sound effect for that. Man, if I'd known it was going to be this kind of podcast, I'd have stuck my dick in the mashed potatoes. All right, here's Dingus' number two. That's racist. What music cues? I don't recognize it. I'm, all I can say is that no, I'm, do you want us to guess things or you just want to tell us? I, I'm, I'm, I it sounds like Carter it. Burwell music, so I'm assuming it's music a Coen Brothers movie. And I'm assuming it sounded like ice cracking, maybe. So maybe something from uh, Fargo? No? No. Okay. It's not Fargo. Is it, is it Miller's Crossing? It's obviously from uh, it's from a Lee Remick movie. It's either Obsession or The Sting. <laughs> All right, Dingus, who's right? Uh, in keeping with Tom's uh, uncanny ability to spoil any of my choices before I make them, um, it is from a Coen Brothers film, and he's already mentioned it in this very podcast. Uh, and that would be my favorite Barton. sound design of all time, Barton Fink. Mm. And it's my very favorite move, moment in this movie's sound design, and that's when the ah. wallpaper is peeling from the wall. And that sound you hear is the sound of the glue liquefying. Uh, after, after, of course, uh, John Goodman has visited him and left his room, and he's sitting there at the typewriter, uh, Barton is, and he looks up and he hears that noise. And, you, and it's hard to hear because of the music, and I almost didn't pick it because I, I wanted to pick things where the music wasn't so loud. Uh, but I couldn't. Mm. I couldn't help it here. This this is one of my favorite sound designs ever. Uh, there's there's a lot more in this film that you could have chosen. The, the fire in the hallway, or or uh, or when he first goes into his room at the hotel. But when he's sitting in that room, and the, and I just remember it's not it's not so pronounced, but it plays so loud in my memory of the wallpaper peeling off the wall, and that's the sound you hear sort of maybe six or seven seconds in, that sort of sound of... Now that we know what it is, let's hear it again. Here we go. Yeah, I can hear that now. Good, Dingus. Very good. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> a lot of music I, in that one. I don't know if I approve that choice either. 
Oh, I hope a lot of cheating going on. <laughs> I hope Kelly approves it. Oh, I'm just hanging on. Anything with music or car horn? Dingus is winning the subtlety award, though. I'll give him that. I'm, I'm about to blow the subtlety award out of the water. Oh, yeah. Wes Anderson and Coen Brothers. As far as the sound effects. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so here, here we go. Well, I, I do feel a little guilty going to this well because I picked Barton Fink before and, and Rushmore. These are unfair oh, why are they? No, no. The reason, no. Three by threes are all about continually recognizing great movies, and, and many of them will be recognized over and over again. The same that's, three that's, movies. That's fine. That's just as expected. Yeah. Okay. The perfect lead into Tom. All right, here we go. Let's see if this is from Vinyan. Here we go. This is uh, my number two. I like it. That's obviously Mr. Limpet. So what I love about this is your favorite uh, Boston versus New York Yankees. It's the and, and what I love about counters. the sound of the new the new tripod sound in War of the Worlds is it's got that two tone, which I didn't remember when I went to look up the sound for this. I just remembered the foghorn a bit, but it starts with like a foghorn thing and ends with this almost wistful whale kind of sound. Uh, and I just love how ominous it is at first and uh, how it's used it a few times. I mean, it's just a fantastic bit of sound design. I'm, I'm going to just play it again. I like okay, that. Okay, so listen for it. It's got part it, yeah, one, and every time the tripods do this, it's foghorn whale. It does that foghorn whale, foghorn whale. It does that two-part thing. Maybe that's what the whales were responding to, because the whales were... I love that. That's also when Tom... Now, here's, uh, the, here's another thing I love about it, and this is kind of cheating. War of the Worlds is also, you know, the, the 1953 one uh, has a famous sound design. They weren't tripods back then. They were the little floating war machines. And I just want to play for you what they used to sound like. You know, here's what guys who went to, the, you know, when Steven Spielberg made a remake of War of the Worlds, yeah. this is what he was following up on, is this cool-looking thing, the George Powell one, with great the sound George design Powell. also. So they didn't just reiterate it. They did their own thing. But here's what they had to follow up on. I love that. It has that bionic band sound, and then it's got like a foghorn, yeah. and then it's like a car that won't that start. One. When I hear it, you know, I think, oh, that's just like a car that won't start. But I just remember seeing that as a kid when that heat ray fired out and was killing people, just how freaky that was, and how effective, how effectively that sound effect of the car not starting is married to the image of that heat ray killing people. Uh. Mm-hmm. It also sounds like the beginning of a DJ Hero song, actually. <laughs> when it starts that... That sound, the sound from the old War of the Worlds, though, kind of ruined the movie in a way, because it made me totally want to get... <laughs> I want like, like, It made me covetous. But the new one, you're like, I don't need the... What? I didn't like it. In the new one, watching the remake of War of the Worlds, they kind of fudge the whole heat ray by just having... It doesn't seem like a ray that's, like, wiping out people. It's just like a... It's a special effect that just randomly it kills one or two people at a time. Uh, I remember being a little disappointed in how that worked. Right. Uh, all right. Well, the, yeah, the visual well, of it is great. It, right. Yeah. You get to but see the, 
And the new one. Go ahead, Dingus. The new one really gets you deep, though. It, the heat it ray? has a different effect the movie. on your body, I think. Oh, oh, right, right. The 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 sound effect, the sound effect in the new one. Yeah. The, there's so much more bass going on in it. It's more visceral. It has much more of an effect on your body. I mean, physically, <laughs> I can feel it. I didn't want to say that word because I know you object to that word. Uh, yeah. But you can you can feel it in your. And body I think it's partly way. accountable for why I really really like uh, the music in Inception. You know, I love that that bass noise in Inception, and just it reminds me of the tripods. So, you, you know what I'm talking about? That that what? bass tone. Come on, think of the music to Inception. Okay. I'll give you a moment. Okay. <laughs> I can't. There's music well, it's in got Inception. that that foghorn effect, which I love. Uh, not everything's a cartoon that I want. All right, so that was my number. Uh, oh, go ahead, Kelly. I'm sorry. Hmm. Well, I like. Well, no, I liked it because I knew what it was, as opposed to. Okay, Kelly, let's see if you can identify this one. You ready? Ones. Hopefully, you can identify it because that's your number one. Dingus <laughs> can identify it. If a listener got, if a listener gets that one, they should find something. Because that's kind of a not in a long time. So why don't, why don't you tell us what it is and what we're hearing there? Let me play it one more time. Here we go. <laughs> Kelly, one, what the heck is that? <laughs> that's actually me right before the podcast prepping. <laughs> no, just kidding. It's from uh, Basket Case, Tom's favorite movie, and mine. It's the twin from Basket Case, the one made out of claymation. And he's uh, perched in the window, and uh, he's trying to wake up his twin brother. So he's he's screaming because that's what he does. And that's Let's play it one more time. Iconic scene. Here we go. Here it is again. Ah! <laughs> See, Basket Case. <laughs> that's making my stomach hurt. If you can picture a creature that goes with how that sound makes you feel. Like if you pick, if you just make up a visual yeah. equivalent of that sound, it's exactly what the <laughs> I don't have to. The sound does it. Yeah. See, it make a good. Point. All right. Good. So that was that was a weird one. Uh, I think I made a good case I, for it. Being all right. Here we go. One more time from uh, Basket Case. Kelly wants number time. one favorite sound effect. Ah! <laughs> all right. So here's a. Dingus, here's your number one. Uh, folks listening, now, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't punk oh, anyone. I'm, I'm above that sort of thing. But I advise you to turn up your speakers, and I promise I'm not saying that because it's going to be like a loud noise or anything. Uh, but this one was quiet. I had to boost the volume on it a little bit. Uh, so turn up your speakers at home. Uh, here's Dingus's number one. Ah! Hey, well. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. <laughs> that was that was absolutely uh, unintentional, by the way. Tell, if that's yeah. our only, <laughs> if that's our only technical snap through tonight, we've, we've done very well. Okay, here's Dingus's number one. <laughs> Here we go. That's Dingus's number Winter's one. Turn up your speakers.
There's a bit too much bass in that, too. I, See, that's I don't scary. feel I did it justice. That's uh, why it, Yeah, it doesn't uh, really work. It needs, it needs blame your recording. Let me, let me do that one more time. Uh, you know what? I don't know that I can affect that. I don't know that I can change it. Uh, let me just play it one more time. Yeah, the bass is all the way up. I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't do anything. <laughs> that was a little better. All right. So, Dingus, what did, what did we just hear? That's your number oh, one sound effect. Yeah. Sound like someone dropping keys. That's what it was. Ah, uh, uh, see? You know see, just hearing that was scary. I came home hey, from uh, Paranormal Activity 2 last night, and, and Dingus had sent me his, his, he'd given me his sound files, and I, I opened them up, and I, you know, played the first one, and, and it, it was blank. And I was about to send him an email, dude, you didn't record your sound thing. And I was like, well, let me boost the volume real quick. And so there I was alone in the house listen to the thing it's like it's blank and so i turned it all the way up and had my head down there and, and i was like ah good lord uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, uh. it's but creepy well hold on See, why We're is not, so much not, better than we might be talking to people who haven't in the seen the rain second movie keep that remember in the ring too when the, the the faces didn't look as scary when they had like the the dead faces in the ring too the bread they just didn't look they didn't have that yeah. So the thing is, what, what did we just hear? Never mind. Good thing is, sorry. Uh, we <sighs> just we heard the first uh, effective sound effect from the 2007. No, yeah, it's 2007 film. So 2008. Activity. Yeah, you can't have it. It's last year, 2009. What? No, it's not last year. <laughs> it's just like last year. How long yeah. have we been doing this podcast? Sorry. Uh, it was from Paranormal Activity, and it's that moment, uh, I think it's night, I think it's the first night, and the, you hear the keys being dropped on the floor. And uh, I can still remember the way I felt sitting in the theater hearing that happen. And one of my favorite moments of our podcast was that I knew exactly what that sounded like and you guys didn't know what that sound was and I said I did and you said you don't know what that that's not keys what are you talking about uh but the 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 I loved the sound design for paranormal activity um it's not my favorite sound design of all time but for what it does for the film, it is one of the most effective sound designs. And there's a, as I said with with Barton Fink, there's there's more pyrotechnic ones I could have chosen. There's 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 other things going on in that film uh, that I could have chosen, uh, footsteps on staircases and whatnot. But that that sound, uh, the way that it's mixed, and the sound of those keys falling, and then what happens. I just remember sitting there and that sound filling me with dread and. And <laughs> it just gave me the feeling of, of that first click uh, when you're going up a hill on a roller coaster, that this is just mm -hmm. where we're going. One of the great things with yeah. that sound design, it's though, it's similar to Jaws in that the shark's always announced by the John Williams soundtrack. There's no soundtrack, of course, in Paranormal Activity. But anytime something happens, it, it's preceded by this bass rumble. Uh, and I love that. There's also, and we'll play it again, there, you, right. do, you definitely hear footsteps in this bit, too. 
you know, there's something running across the floor in another room before the keys get knocked onto the floor. Uh, so there's there's the rumble, there's the footsteps, and then there's the keys falling to listen for. So here we go. Here's Dingus' number one again. All right, Dingus, what did we just hear? Because, you know, I think they sort of set the stage for a found footage movie doing really good work with, uh, with a sound design that's just normal conventional sounds, but not where you expect them. Uh, you know, a board creaking, footsteps running across the floor, keys falling, that's nothing. You know, that's not, that's not sound design. That's, you could do that at home. I hear that every day. Uh, but it's a matter of when and where you hear it. Uh, and I think Blair Witch Project did some great things with that as well. All right, so that's Dingus' number one. Here we go with my number one. Uh, and if Kelly can use music for his number three, I can use what you guys are about to hear for my number one. Eve. 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 That that was uh that was Eve Weak. from Wally the the female robot uh and I, uh, I love her sound effect you know there's a long history of chick computers or chick robots um and I just Eve would be one of my famous and I don't know if her name was Eva but it, 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 I, yeah okay so so uh uh but uh, it is Eva's Eva okay. forever. So that's how that's how Wally said. <laughs> but I just I I he love her voice and I I love the whole design of her. But I love how it's it's uh, it's reinforced with for both him and her. By the way, uh, I I just love her sound design uh, and all the sound in that. If I'm not mistaken, isn't the Star Wars guy that Ben Burt fellow? So I know a lot of people who are listening right now are probably going to be looking for like sound effects of Tie Fighters or lightsabers or whatnot. So you can skip all that stupid Star Wars stuff. Uh, uh, I, you know, this is the Star Wars guy, so I'm I'm putting this to also represent Star Wars. So there you go. Isn't his name Ben Burt? He did the sound design for Wally. Who's if I'm not Star mistaken, wasn't he? Uh, I just remember when I when I read about Wally. Isn't he also the sound design design guy from the original Star Wars? Right, uh, and. Is there somebody named Rob Burnett? Is the, is. the guy who did those uh, uh, European Gigolo movies? That's the real world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you might be right. Oh, okay. I probably should have looked this up before He's I tried good. to talk about it. He's really no, no. Who worked right, on Wall-E, or who's also from Star Wars? I, for some reason, uh, the other guy's name pop. <laughs> I'd like to change my number one to Tom explaining who Ben Burr is. <laughs> Uh, and now the, the thing is, too, it's, it's uh, dialogue, but it's also like sound effects. I mean, it's not conventional talking back and forth. Uh, I like Wally, but I, right. a couple okay. things annoy me about it. So any kind of sound effects from it annoy me. Well, they all hear it again. It's is, a Pixar movie. What do you want? Doing She's so musical. It's adorable. She's definitely saying Eva. Yeah, I think he's got it right. 
Uh, I don't like hearted bastard Kelly Wand. Uh, I have, that's not what I programmed them to do. I have some runners up, and I know Dingus does as well. Then there's Captain's Wheel. Uh, so Dingus, I'll just go through your runners up. Uh, we'll take turns. We've each got three. So Dingus, here's your number three runner up. Let me play it. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, if it's number three, they might. I think I've normalized everything. We'll see. But yeah, if you've had your sound turned way up so you can hear the paranormal activity clip. Okay, well, here's number three for Dingus. Oh, no, no. It's, not, it's, not, it's runner-up number one that I'm worried about. People have their sound. <laughs> sounded like an M4 being fired. What was that? <laughs> okay, here's Dingus' number three. Could you do with that one again, please? Great. I'm enjoying this game now. Is it, is it Rocky punching a side of beef? <laughs> oh, God. That's good. What's that music? It's the end of something. Is it stupid? Is it something dumb? Is it like a Conan movie or something? No, no, is someone like, tripping or falling over? Something dumb. It's wonderfully dumb. Wow. No, no, no. Dingus did not. Uh, I, I did not. Here, I'll tell, Wait, I'll, Tom I'll, knows I'll, what it is, right? He didn't qualify these. I named my, I named my files with generic names. Ah, clever man. All right, here we go. Here's things is runner up. Uh, I'll do it. One, I, do it one last time, even though. Number. Th- I can't tell if it's a gunshot or somebody falling over. Oh, you know what? It's. I know what it is. I know it. Uh, it's. Uh, it's uh, Alec Guinness something. falling on the detonator at the end of Bridge Over the River Kwai. All right. Well. <laughs> he does fall at an odd angle, but uh, no. Okay, Dick, what well is it? We give up. You got it. Uh, Someone hanging up a phone angrily because their Burger King got jacked. <laughs> oh, this is so pleasing to me. Uh, the line that comes Mar- Marathon that Man? Is, is it secret? Is it secret? The Marathon Man. Uh, right. Ah, yeah, that was... Uh, see, I knew something... My, my, I was thinking, it's something that's supposed to be light, but it sounds heavy. So what, it's just Gandalf closing the door? Tom's cat. Crazy. Yeah. No, yeah, it's... It's dropping it's, the ring on the floor, isn't it? Yeah, it's Bilbo dropping the ring. That's the sound of a tiny-ass ring falling on dirt. I love that sound effect. It's it's Bilbo yeah, finally too. giving up the ring, <laughs> and it's the sound of that ring hitting the floor. As right. I loved work. it when I saw it. I go, I love this movie. Right, here's Dingus' so runner-up number two. I've only got two, actually, so I'm going to play Dingus' number two runner-up. Here we go. Yeah. Three. Okay. Yep. Jackson. You know what, Dingus? I, when you first sent me that... No, this can't be right. I was going to say... I Hold on. Let me play that again. Lucky numbers with John Travolta winning the lottery. Those are the lottery. It's ball. French. Uh, Outland, the guy golfing. And I don't know because there's there's. It's it's French in the but background. I was going to say it's Animal Crossing, where the kid calls his grandmother and he's cooking these like beans across the room in the very opening of the movie. But that's not what it is. So. All right, Dingus, what is it? They stole that from the game. 
No, I like yours, Tom. I want to I want to find that sound. It's it's from my favorite French movie, Amelie. It's it's okay. she's Next she's listening then. to a to a news report, and she drops the uh, the uh, top of her perfume bottle. It rolls across the okay, floor. Okay, good. I was yeah, I was thinking like dice or some gambling and thing too. But okay, just the, the top of a perfume top. bottle falling on the ground. Okay, the Amelie, yeah. <laughs> All right, here's one of my runners up. Mine are all oh, recognizable. Okay. These are going to be terrible guessing games, but uh, here's one one that I almost. Let Amelie. Wait, hold on. Yay! I almost picked this one. Well, the thing is, there's so many variations of Godzilla, them. and this is one from, uh, uh, and in looking for a, a sound bite, I discovered that the very first one, it was the sound designer taking a glove, covering it with resin, and then rubbing a finger of the glove along a bass, uh, a, a bass string, and then playing the music back, or playing that, sa- that sound back slowly, slowing the sound down. Uh, so this is, this is, I think, from the the second movie, like he later gets that sort of more whiny kind of noise. Uh, but Godzilla is so iconic and all that stuff leads to things like the, the T-Rex, um, you know, all these giant monster movies like Cloverfield. What, what noise did the Cloverfield monster make? Wasn't it a Godzilla kind of thing? Yeah. A little bit. Ah, good point. Right. Found you footage sound effects are different. Because yeah, we're supposed to be only <laughs> it's not a it camcorder. Yeah. It was a silent. Oh, well, well, obviously, I mean, I think that's... I actually thought you know, Godzilla that informs for us what a, a giant blizzard would sound like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, Tom, play I don't the really God, what he sounded like in that. Compare. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here's Dingus' number one. Exactly. This is a little loud, I think, so uh, watch your volume. Here we go. Dingus' is number one. Oh, not number one. His, uh, one of his runners up. Here we go. That's the word. I did not mean to do that. That's the boner. <laughs> you realize here's every Dingus one of our sound effects are going to be there. That's, uh, I know what it is. It's Brando licking lemon juice off Susan's uh, Close, I guess. So I'm assuming Dingus that that was Saving Private Ryan. No. Oh, interesting. I thought we weren't allowed to use that. All right. Because the, the thing I, I was going to bring up Saving Private Ryan, I, one of the things I wondered about there, the sound design for the guns in Saving Private Ryan, the Omaha Beach scene, was so good with not just the sounds of, of guns, but the sounds of bullets flying by people. Like it had that whole whipping sound effect when a bullet flies by you that, that's not very Hollywood. Most movies just have the, the actual guns firing off. Uh, and I didn't hear a lot of bullet sound in that clip. So I think it's what is that from if it's not Saving Private Ryan? Well, what I like about that clip is you hear different different types of bullets. 
you hear di- bullets going through water and bullets going through glass, and you hear shell casings falling. And the sound of shell casings falling is one of my favorite sound effects. And this is uh, this is one of two I chose from this movie, and I I went with this one. I think the other one's probably better for shell casings, but this is from The Matrix, and this is uh, Neo uh, operating the the chain or the Gatling gun in the helicopter outside the window um, as the sprinklers go in the room, and he's firing at the agents, and you hear you hear the shell casings falling from the helicopter. It's just Matrix uh, dingus. There's no the. You hear, Wait, what you hear movie? It's called The Matrix. Oh. oh, I'm sorry. It's 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 uh, Matrix Men. Ah, uh, Wachowski Brothers. Dingus is number one. Oh. And you, you hear Good. a lot of And, and just to clarify, this was not Dingus is number one. Dingus is number one was Basket Case. Going through glass. Uh, this was one of Dingus' runners up. Uh, all right, and here's another one of my runners up, which, uh, you know, instantly right. recognizable. Right. Uh, everyone's going to know exactly. There's actually two sound effects, but they're both so iconic from this movie. I just love the motion tracker and the pulse rifle. Here's just the pulse rifle. I, I love the... <laughs> How dare you? Uh, I love the sound effect of the motion tracker, and we all know that. Yeah. And, and that so pulse awesome. rifle sound effect, which, you know, it sounds like a real gun, but it's got this kind of high-tech pneumatic quality to the tone of it uh and i don't know if it's just from having played so many of the games or having seen alien so many times uh but i I just love the sound effect of that gun um (laughs) right like i always like that gun maybe twink off of an alien's carapace small so it added to the scariness uh yeah and the motion detector is scary too. Like everything's systematically designed to like unnerve you. I like I like also, the, the the feel that, and I don't know if this is true. Oh yeah, yeah, no, the game. But it uh, does feel they that definitely use the, the, the real assets rifle sound the over to the game. Um, yeah, they yep, did absolutely, except for the most recent one. Um, and it made well, the game kind awesome, of, didn't hmm? it? Yeah, I'm sad that sucked. Uh, also, in the first movie, the sound of the computer mother, I always liked the sound she made. <laughs> Actually, Kelly Wan, uh, the computer was called the Dub Mother, just so you know. I don't care if you live. <laughs> uh, <sighs> all right, so there we go. Uh, I'm not talking Kelly about Kelly Wan, what runners-up would you have had if you... Uh, was there Was there anything that you were thinking of towards I your like list but that you couldn't like you find the effects for or... Uh, did you have any runners up? Well, the Dukes of Hazard car horn, but that was a TV show, and also um, <laughs> okay, good. Uh, the, uh, I I was listening. I wanted to find like some awesome car engine awesome. sound, um, but like I, I watched the opening bit of Road Warrior because I love he's got that turbo thing. But it's not that great of a sound. It's just like a cool car, and it has a weird sort of turbo aspirating sound. I don't know what it is. Uh, and I like that, but it wasn't quite worthy of the list. <laughs> Were there any good song, music, or wait, I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe uh, Augustus Loop getting dragged through the chocolate tubes or something? Ah, good. Good. 
Also the farts and blazing saddles. I meant to... Do you own a copy uh, of that thing? And if so, can I borrow it? Because Paul Walker's in it. But I, I didn't know if that would work. I never got around <laughs> to it. Yes and yes. Uh, a couple of that I didn't bother with. I, mm. I like the way punches and revolver shots sound in Indiana Jones, but I just didn't bother. Um, and... Uh, and since I chose it so recently, I, I didn't go back to it. But but in the film Shine, in the in the scene where he's playing the the Rock Three, there's there's a there's a a part of that where you don't hear the music at all, and you just hear the keys being worked in slow motion, and the keys are just it's just that if you can imagine kind of like this. Really good sound effect. Kelly Wan, what do you have for us for next week's 3x3? And is it going to involve as much technical work? So poignant. No. It's, uh, three (laughs) movies that that you've seen. Wait, okay, that's a different one. All right. Three sequels better than your original. I'll do this one. Three sequels. Uh, Join us next week for that. We'll be bringing you uh, three of those. I'm wondering how much overlap there will be. Three each, good point. So nine, maybe fewer than nine, depending on how much overlap there is. We'll see. Nine. Uh, Three sequels better than the original movie. We will also next week be seeing Social Network, uh, which uh, we instead, when it first came out, we wanted to talk about Killer Inside Me because it just came out on DVD. So we skipped Social Network. Now we're going back instead of seeing Saw 3D. Uh, so it was between Saw 3D and Social Networks, and we decided to go with Social Network. So uh, join us next, next week. You've had plenty of opportunity to see Social Networks. You can listen to us talk about it in spoiler-specific details. Uh, I look forward to hearing Kelly's synopsis of it. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I am joined with uh, Lisa Murkowski. Did I get that right, Dingus? <laughs> Oh, I like the name. And uh, Kelly Wan. Uh, it's Christian Morosky, but... Uh, Abby Normal. your podcast is haunted by activity call martine's ethnic maid service at 1-800-801